Hello and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we cover magic, herbalism, and more. I'm Shannon. And I'm Nick. And we're your co-hosts with the most. So today, I'm talking about Greater Periwinkle. Not the lesser Periwinkle. No, not, not the lesser Periwinkles. No, absolutely not. The greater not. of the Periwinkles, which I'm, I'm into. It's a really dope plant, which we will talk about. <laughs> I love that. Also, isn't, wasn't there like a character on Blue's Clues called Periwinkle? I think so. Was was that the girl Blue? Am I making that up? Who's Periwinkle? Hold on. You you introduce your segment. And I'm going to find out who Periwinkle was on Blue's Clues. Okay. Today, I'm giving you guys another installment of the Magical Creatures segment. You know it. You love it. We're talking about satyrs today, which... I personally feel like really in my wheelhouse because it's so Dionysus and Pan heavy. Like we're gonna, we're having fun this week. I love it. Okay, so Periwinkle is the male kitten. That's the who it kitten. is. I knew it Great. was one of the animals. Oh my god! I'm like all of the moms that listen to this were like screaming about who Periwinkle was <laughs> at their at their phones. They were just like, "God damn it, you millennial bastards!" Um, hey, it has been, it has been a minute since I watched Blue's Clues because I I'll tell you I stopped watching when my man Steve left. Yeah, dude, justice for Steve. Also, like, what a weird time on the internet when there was that like rumor that he was dead. Um, right. Anyway, so you guys might notice I'm really congested today, so I apologize. I'm gonna try my best to like not make gross noises into the microphone because I know that's disgusting. Um, but if I sound a little funky, it's just a cold. I'm not dying. Um, but Nick, when did you feel magical this week? Okay. And I actually, I texted you this story live in real time. So, you know, I'm going to talk about the water bottle. Oh my God, the water bottle. Because, okay, you guys know I take the bus to and from work. It's where I read your lovely Instagrams, et cetera, et cetera. But that requires me at the beginning of my commute to take a 20 minute walk to the bus stop, okay? It's it's actually more like 15, but it's 20 if you're listening to a podcast and stopping a little bit in the shade because it's fucking hot here in Texas, okay? You gotta do that. Yeah, you're not like speed walking to the bus stop. No, absolutely not. All of that to say, I usually bring like a water bottle from home um, or just like chug a bunch of water before I'm leaving. Did not do that this time in a bit of a rush, okay? So I get to the bus stop. I have sweated every last ounce of moisture out of my body. And it is so humid that it just feels like I'm wrapped in a blanket of this heat. And I get on the bus, bus is completely empty, and on the seat where I usually sit is an ice cold water that has not been opened. And it's from a construction company, but it was like Ram brand, and it has this like big ass Aries looking symbol on the bottle. So it was like, in, hello, in, Arthur in bright, the Aries. In bright red, in bright red. Yeah, the universe, so, she provides. So th literally the universe provided. I think uh, another detail of note here is that the only other person on the bus was the driver who had a hydro flask. I mean, so truly, where did, where did this ice cold bottle of water come from? Magic. Magic. Uh, I summoned it. I, su <laughs> I love it. So for mine, um, <clears throat> this is like, 
it's like herbalist magic, which to me always feels extra special. So last year I made this tincture that I still have plenty of because you guys know I love a tincture because they stay fucking good forever, right? Um, I made this tincture with like arnica and chamomile and calendula uh, because well, and lavender because initially I made it for like my planner's fasciitis, you know, because it's a really good topical um, for like muscle relief and bruising. But Arnica also has antihistamine in it. So one of my new coworkers was like talking about how she had been eaten up by mosquitoes outside. And I was like, girl, do I have something for you? So I brought her a little rollerball of that tincture. And she, when I tell you, was like, oh my God, all of my bug bites stopped itching. They shrank so fast. This stuff was like magic. I was like, that's right. That's right. I'm a crazy witch brewing up my potions, sharing them with the world, making things better for people. Uh, and it was just like a little thing. I mean, cause it was like, I didn't make any money off of it. I didn't sell it, but I like brought it for her after she complained about it. And then it worked and it just felt nice. Cause I was like, you know, I had a very long week. I worked a lot of late hours cause we had back to school night on Thursday for the elementary school. So it was like very busy. We don't have an events person. I was doing a lot of schlepping, so it was nice to have that moment of like, oh yeah, I'm also like good at things that are not moving like cases of wine around. Oh my gosh. It was nice. So anyway, let's talk about Periwinkle, y'all. This episode uh, might end up being a little shorter, just fair warning, because I only did one segment today because guys, I like have a fucking cold. So anyway, greater Periwinkle Latin name, Vinca Major, which means when the species abbreviation is written out, it's V Major, which mm. just makes me happy. It's also known as Sorcerer's Violet, sometimes called Myrtle, which is like, why would you call it Myrtle when you could call it Sorcerer's Violet? I don't understand. These are the questions. These are absolutely the um, Right? But the Vinca part of the name comes from the Latin vincere which means to bind. And it's, uh, they think it's in reference to the Romans using it to like make garlands and crowns out of the vines for festivals. Like this is the plant that also is like super associated with Beltane. So I think that's like, it makes sense. Like how cute, these, these flowers are beautiful making like a little crown out of periwinkle. Like, Jesus, you're a fucking fairy queen. There we go, cute. So this this one, though, really is like, <clears throat> I think it's a lot more about the magical, mystical ethos of the plant as opposed to everyday mundane applications. We'll talk a little bit about why I'm not going to get super, super into the herbalism uses, but it is like a five-petaled plant, big Venusian energy. Um, five is the number of Venus, which just in case you weren't aware of that historical association, but it's also like very much considered a plant of the fairy realm, which you guys know, I love the fae. So I'm super into it, but like there is still this like mundane side of the house, which we'll, we'll talk about. Right. So it's uh, this little lass native to the Western Mediterranean gets to be about 10 inches tall. It's an evergreen perennial, but it's really used for like ground cover. You do need to be aware 
that it's considered invasive in some areas, especially in like the U.S. and New Zealand. So make sure you check out your local info before you go periwinkle wild. So like in coastal California and the oak grove areas, you can't grow periwinkle because it's considered invasive in those parts. So that's like, check out stuff, guys, before you just find a plant and you like it, do a little bit of research. But V major, it's a trailing vine. So the way it works is ground cover is it like grows long and it like roots around the stem. So like as the stem grows, it forms roots, which you see a lot with ground covers. And the leaves are like gorge. They're like dark green, kind of like glossy looking. Like they're they're really pretty. And it also has a hairy petiole, which I just think sounds very dirty because I'm 12. That actually sounds disgusting. Like a hairy petiole sounds like something you need to get waxed. Um, <laughs> the, the flowers are hermaphrodites uh, and they bloom all the way from like early spring through autumn. So like these are long flowering like plants, which I think are great. And there are a bunch of cultivars that the, the main difference in the cultivars generally is in the flowers, but there's a one super popular cultivar that has variegated foliage. So if you're someone that likes pops of cream in your greenery, that's the one for you. And Nick, I have to let you know, the Variegata cultivar does have the Royal Horticultural Society's Award of Garden Merit. Oh, so, good. Oh, I was going to ask. I know. You, knew, you were going to be like, gonna... <laughs> what does the Royal Horticultural Society think? <laughs> merit. So uh, giant steps, I think is my favorite cultivar because the flowers are like huge and they're like straight up that indigo violet. If you've Ooh. ever seen, you know, there's like this really pretty um, ground cover lobelia that has like almost orchid looking flowers that are violet. It's like that color. This lobelia is really popular in Southern California. So anyone out here probably knows what I'm talking about, but I love those like deep indigo flowers something about them just like when I see them I'm like oh plants are magic indigo is such a magical color so the good news is it's an easy plant to grow which you might have guessed considering it's uh invasive in some areas it is like a really dense ground cover so you aren't going to want to grow this in areas with other plants because it'll like kill them dead gonna choke them out but if you have like shrubs or woody perennials that you want to do like ground cover under, you could think about it. It can be grown like all the way from like full shade to full sun. I mean, if you get into full shade, you're not going to get as many blooms. It's going to be really more about the foliage. But there's this like sweet spot of partial shade, mostly because it doesn't like to fully dry out. The flowers on periwinkles, they're not like, they're not like morning glory delicate but they're still on the more delicate side. So like, they're not gonna do well baking in the sun. Like this is really a temperate region plant, right? But you do wanna keep it watered during the dry months. Obviously don't drown it. It likes uh, well-drained, slightly acidic soil, but it's not super fussy. Like this is one notoriously that people who plant it are like, it just pops up in new places. So I don't overthink it. I think sometimes it's like, Unless you're fucking growing garden, like a garden of roses, I think we tend to maybe overthink it <laughs> with plants. Just calm your tits. I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, man, some people really like fucking get their panties in a bunch about making sure the pH is perfect on their soil. And like, 
I guess if you're retired, if I was retired, maybe, but most of us aren't. So <laughs> anyway, I do have to note, this one isn't as cold hardy as Ordinary Periwinkle, but I read this really cool like tip that I will never need to worry about because of where I live. But if you live somewhere that gets cold, you can plant some things like near your house or like by stone or brick buildings. And the heat that it retains in the stone can sometimes keep it warm enough to help some of your plants become perennials, even during the colder months. So it's like getting that like lizard action. Basically, it's like a little outdoor heater for them. Like, how cute is that? I actually, I do love the idea of like the little vines, just like mm, warm, warm house. Yeah, they're just like snuggling up, getting that like little bit of the sun heat left over. Uh, this is a plant that you can get starts for. So like, go for it. I think especially with certain things that like flower. So like morning glory, I plant from seed because I, I love morning glories. I'll wait for it. But sometimes you don't want to wait for the flowers and that's okay. Just get the starts. So um, herbalism uses. Disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. Uh, I'm not a doctor. Nick's not a doctor. This podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat anything. Please always talk to your medical care professionals before you start any new herbal regimens. So before we get into it, though, you have to be like 100% sure you know, like which periwinkle, like what plant you're dealing with. So there's this uh, C. roseus plant. It's related to the vinca genus, but they're not the same and they can't be used interchangeably. But C. roseus has vinca alkaloids. It just has higher concentrations of vinca alkaloids. And the reason that matters is because these alkaloids, the ones from C. roseus, they can target like the microtubules, which essentially they act as like the skeletal system for your cells. So the way that these vinca alkaloids operate is they bind to the tubulin, which like inhibits its ability to, the term is, polymerize into a microtubule, which causes an arrest to cells in metaphase. And basically it kills the cells. Like it causes cell death. Not a good thing. The interesting thing about that is the vinca alkaloids that like that pharmaceutical action or pharmacological action um, actually has made them of interest for chemotherapy drugs with the way they cause cell death. But on the other side, it contributes to their toxicity in both your central nervous system and your peripheral nervous system. So if you plan to use plants, especially internally that have vinca alkaloids, you really need to work with like a skilled practitioner. Like dosage is super, super important. Um, C. roseus has like much higher concentrations of the vinca alkaloids. But this is one that like I'm... I'm not going to like spend a lot of time talking about herbalism uses just because it feels like irresponsible or whatever, but vinca major and minor are actually both considered astringents. So they're most commonly recommended when you're talking about internal uses for like the reproductive system. Think about things like excessive menstrual flow, sometimes like blood in the urine, depending on the causes, but that astringent property comes from the tannins, which is also why it helps with like skin inflammation. It's the same reason that like a lot of rose family, our yarfas are good for your skin. It's that uh, the tannins help lessen skin inflammation and irritation, but they can also help defend against infection. So things like the vinca species are useful for like burns and wounds. And like, even in the magical side of the world, you'll see a lot of uses for like vinca flowers in beautification baths and rituals. So like, 
you know, periwinkle baths, I think sound cute. And topically, you're not dealing with like the danger of cell death as much. So again, I'm keeping it pretty brief herbally today just because like, yes, you can use greater periwinkle medicinally, but you really, really need to work with somebody because like damage to your central and peripheral nervous systems isn't uh, cool. So anyway, you don't want to go down that road. You don't want to go down that road. So let's get into the magic of this little dude, though, because this is what I was excited about. Um, So a lot of times, magically, you'll see five petaled plants um, referred to as like gateways, right? So the five petaled plants represent the pentagram. So you get that like that gateway into other realms use with them. And so that's where you see things like nightshades and periwinkle in particular, those like five petal plants a lot of times get tied to the fae because the idea is that these can like serve as a portal to the fairy realm, the other world. But that's also why you see it like used for things like scrying. So I see like when I was doing my research, there were so many recommendations on working with periwinkle for scrying and in particular, like floating the flowers and scrying vessels which I did not know was something that I was desperate to try until doing this research I'm like I want to get me a fucking obsidian bowl fill it with water and float some periwinkle in it but it's in general periwinkle is considered like an attractive plant for most nature spirits right so it's like of course the fae but it's not limited to those specific creatures like I've seen it for like woodland sprites elementals if you're someone who works with like nymphs or like even like certain deities that are really heavily associated with woodlands like i imagine the artemis would really appreciate some periwinkle i i Uh, I feel like there's something about a vining flower that feels very much like the wilderness yeah yeah because it's like uh, you can't stop me. It's like, it just spreads. So it's like, nah, man, I'm not going to be contained in this like cute little garden you built with your little fences. Like, no, I right. am the nature. Um, <laughs> so, you know, five is the Venusian number. We talked about its association with Venus, which we'll talk about for like some love magic in a minute. But I've also read about a bunch of connections to like lunar magic. And I think, again, it's like, the thing that makes them portals, I think also makes sense for that connection to the moon, right? Because it's like, it's in flux. And so it's like the way that we work with the moon kind of changes over time. And I think about like portal magic kind of similarly, like portals, I feel like kind of shift like where they're at and how accessible they are. And maybe this is all just weird woo shit from my brain, but this to me, it all tracks, right? So there have been, like, in medieval literature, you'll often see, like, uh, suggestions that you should gather periwinkles specifically on days that are associated with the moon. So, like, 1st, 9th, 11th, 13th, these days of the lunar cycle. Um, If you're someone who, like, does your plant harvesting based on lunar phases, I always think that, like, doing full moon is a good time because remember too during the full moon you're pulling a lot of the water up when you think about the tides so things like that get harvested from above ground that's a great time to harvest them so like I just this is my dream I already talked about wanting to get an obsidian scrying vessel right but I'm like imagine you take your obsidian scrying bowl into the woods you fill it with charged moon water you're sitting in like in the woods under the trees 
you float some periwinkle in it and you scry in the light of the full moon. Yeah, I'm I'm here. I'm here for all of this. I'm like communing this. with the Fae. Nick, can you imagine doing this by your like magical <clears throat> spring? Oh, that would be so nice. Like you don't even need a vessel. You can float some periwinkle in the spring and scry in the spring. I I do love that. I do also I need to go visit the spring. This is like your weekly reminder that I love I love the spring. Yeah. And if you're someone who works with the Fae or like nature spirits, like you can always like make offerings to them while you're there and like call on their assistance for scrying. Because I think <clears throat> again, like portal plants are also great for scrying because when you're scrying, what are you doing? You're like looking into other realms, other times. And I think that calling on like the spirits you work with to help you, especially when you're in nature, like mm, I'm just such a fucking green witch. I like being outside, whatever. It makes me feel magical. Um, so according though to a lot of like historical stuff too, that Venus thing, right? We're getting into love magic, but it's a vine, which also means it's associated with binding. So love spells and binding, not a combination I'm a big fan of. Uh, but again, like in some historical resources from like medieval times in particular, they talk about like spells that draw two people together and bind them in love. Not for me. That feels gross. That also feels like a recipe for disaster, right? Because I think there's also this thing about like love spells where it's sometimes like be careful what you wish for. Because how many times have we all like had an obsession with somebody and then we get to know them and then you hate them. <laughs> it's it's called the ick. The ick. I mean, with one of my exes, I got the ick so bad that his laugh made me angry by the time we broke up. A certain uh, ex I was with before my husband, who Nick knows about. I, I, like, I, I, know, I know who you mean. I, know, I think I know exactly who you mean. Yeah, it was awful. I got the ick so bad. Can you imagine if I had done a fucking binding love spell? Yeah, a, a, a binding love spell. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't love. I don't love. Um, but again, I wanted to mention it because you'll see it when you Google it. So it's like, look, if anyone's doing research and they're like, Shannon, you didn't talk about the main thing. I'm like, fuck you guys. I mentioned it. I think it's gross. But finally, though, we're talking about like a ground cover. Um, often with ground covers, you also see this like protective edge, right? Because it kind of like spreads out. And I think uh, when I often when I'm thinking about my protective shields, they have kind of like a vining ground cover vibe to them. Sure, yeah. So I think that tracks. So you could carry periwinkle and like a little spell bag, put it under your doormat, grow it next to your house, right? Like that's Which, great. It seems like it would enjoy that as well. Yeah. It's going to like that if you live somewhere cooler. But also if you do dream work, and you happen to work with the Fae, put it in a sleep sachet. It's going to be at home under your pillow. Because again, it's like got that combination of like protection. It's a portal. It helps you connect to spirits and other world. It's like that to me feels like such a logical plant to work with for dream magic. Right? Like, I don't know. To me, I was just like, okay, this tracks. This tracks. I, yeah. Oh, and also, I just, I think, the color of periwinkle and this is kind of completely abstract but i for some reason purple to me is a sleepy color and maybe it's because everything for sleep is like lavender scented that maybe, i have this but, association 
but I get it. I get it. It's sleepy. I Purple, think it's also... for some reason, is like a, a, a sleepy color. It's like a nighttime color. It's like the color you would see in the sky at night. Yeah. It's like the color of a beautiful night sky. I also think it's like indigo, I'm pretty sure, is the color associated with your crown chakra. So it's like that psychic connection, the dream world when your like conscious self is like taking a fucking break and getting out of your way. It, it all just makes sense to me. But I wanted to end my segment by reading a passage from uh, Apollius's Herbarium, which was written in 1480. So before I do that, my sources were Wikipedia, thespruce.com, Herbarium, Poison Path Herbal, various Reddit pages. But I wanted to end by reading this because I just really liked it. Um, so I pray thee, Vinca Pervinca, thee that art to be had for thy many useful qualities, that thou come to me glad blossoming with thine mainfulness, that thou outfit me so that I shall be shielded and ever prosperous and undamaged by poison and water. Isn't that cute? That is. I, I love her. Although, uh, you know, I guess you could get sick from drinking dirty water. You, you could. You could. You could get real sick from drinking dirty water. Uh, historically, that's a, that's a way would, a lot I, of people have died. Yes, yeah, so I'm like, I forget olden timey people um, didn't like water. They had to be worried Anywho. about that. Uh, dysentery ruined so many Oregon Trail games. Let's not forget. Right. It's true. It's true. So you guys, it is Magical Creatures time. We're talking about satyrs this week. Let's fucking do it. Because I was actually so excited to do this segment because if you could not tell, if you did not know, I'm a real big like Dionysus pan guy. Like, that's one of my favorite branches of Greek mythology. And in learning about satyrs, I got so much more of the backstory of Dionysus. And it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, this was one where all of the reading we, that we have done thus far making this podcast of Greek mythology, it's like, wow, that really is all coming together conceptually in my head. And I'm like, oh, I'm like learning Greek mythology, which is great. Yeah, it, it is wild. I think the longer we do this, the more I'm just like, oh, shit, like, we get this now. Yeah, yeah, no. And like, at the beginning, I was like, yeah, Dionysus is cool. He's a party bro, which is kind of like part of his ethos. Not gonna lie. But it's a yes it's, and. It's a yes and. Okay. But also, I spent so much of this week reading basically like the cliff notes version of the Dionysiaca, which is one of those things where I've read it so many times, do not know. I did hear someone in a video say Dionysica, and I was like, that's, that sounds simple. That sounds easy. So I like Dionysica, but basically it's like this whole backstory of Dionysus. But what is that? What the fuck? Do, like, wait, what does that have to do with satyrs? Okay, well, the satyrs primarily appear in Greek mythology as the cohorts of Dionysus. So we're going to be talking a lot about Dionysus. But what They're like is the hype men for Dionysus, right? Yeah, basically. <laughs> because he, the whole thing with Dionysus too is that he doesn't live in one fixed place. He goes, he's constantly traveling from place to place to place. And there's like a whole procession like this huge party that just follows him wherever he goes on his little donkey. 
because she rides a little donkey through the woods, which Nick, you are going to morph into Dionysus eventually. Like we all I'm, know this, right? No, I'm like this is my this is the job that I would want to have as a Greek god because this is like Nick's end goal IRL. Let's not it, pretend. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna usurp Dionysus. No, but it's really one of those things where it's like the whole idea of bringing wine to a housewarming party. That's like pure Dionysus, baby. That's like, that's it. Okay. But we're talking about satyrs. This is a magical creature segment, not a Dionysus segment. It's not a pan segment. Okay. My microphone just fell over. But this is the satyr, the satyr segment. So what is a satyr? Well, you will be shocked to find out that a satyr is actually a little hairy man with a horse's tail and ears full stop okay that's like a lot less complicated than i thought it might be no because it's not a fawn which is what everyone thinks a satyr is so a fawn is like mr tumbus from narnia he's a little he's a little goat man with goat legs and then a human torso and arms and like maybe like some extra hairy bits up top but like mostly human up top but then go horns okay that's a fawn um a satyr is a, a horse so i just to, i learned something today and and regular person legs okay regular person okay. legs horse ears all right horse tail Okay, so we're finding out that Seder is actually, like, the easiest, like, lazy Halloween costume we could have been doing this whole time. Uh, yeah, that's exactly what I'm telling you. But, okay, so, and always naked, they do not wear clothes, uh, even though they're, like, fully human, and they have, like, permanent boners, so. Okay, so, I mean, clothes might be uncomfortable at that point. It's It's true, it's true. And it, there, it's like a horse boner because it's really big. So okay, well, put that in your spank bank for later, folks. Um, truly, <laughs> truly, truly. Uh, but okay. So the whole thing with satyrs, though, is that they are kind of this sort of comic relief in a lot of the Greek myths. And actually, so I wanted to talk about a little bit of etymology because. Here's the thing. Dionysus ended up being the god of the dramatic arts because most of the original plays were written in Dionysus's honor. Okay. And, and mostly because he was dramatic as fuck. Truly, <laughs> truly, truly. But well, I also think it's because people who are in the dramatic arts love wine. Yeah, it's like, have you ever met theater kids? Yeah, it's like theater kids end up being wine connoisseurs as adults yeah it's like we're you're, everyone's drinking and touching each other backstage it's uh makes it tracks that it's, it's a dionysian a, field yeah it's it's a dionysian field for sure so they would have these plays called satyr plays and the satyrs would be this kind of funny greek chorus sort of telling you the events right and Oftentimes, satyr plays were parodies of tragedies, which they say that there's no connection between the word satyr and the word satire. But I don't believe it. But a satyr play was a parody 
of a tragedy, which sounds a lot like what satire is. I, yeah, that, I mean, fucking fight me, but I disagree. I, etymological I, people. I, etymological people out there, if, I would love to actually have an entomologist I mean, come on the show, maybe as just like, we'll pay them a little bit every week to come on and tell us how to pronounce, A, pronounce Greek things, and then B, um, we can get in arguments with them about, oh my shit, God. about oh. shit like this. Down. I'm super down. I, it's just like, how is satyr and satire not related when satire was like the thing that yeah, satyrs when, were used for? So that's just kind of like where where I want to go. Like maybe it's because I'm an Aries. Maybe it's because I'm a little bit hungover. But like I really want to fight the the freaking etymology people. It's fine. I think we're fighting them. We're fighting them right now. Come at we, us. We are. We're publicly declaring on this podcast that we are after the people who uh, decide what words mean. <laughs> so all of that to say, yes, fawns are these like party boys and they're funny and they live in the woods and they follow Dionysus around and they're not goats. Okay, those are fawns. But then we also have Pan, and that does kind of throw a wrench into things as well, because Pan is a frequent companion of Dionysus on his travels through the woods, okay? And Pan is a goat man. So Pan is a goat man. Pan is has the legs of a goat and the horns of a goat, and he's also, like, hella horny uh, vibes, which, you know, kind of goes along with the satyrs, but the satyrs... Just muddying the waters here. It really does muddy the waters because then by the time you get to Roman mythology, which is where fawns, you know, it's kind of the satyr becoming the fawn. So originally you have these horse satyrs. At some point in the middle, it all gets kind of mixed up with pan and then kind of spit it out the other end. In Rome, it's now a fawn. So... <laughs> Guys, history's fun. But also to muddy the waters even further, even further. So initially, Pan is this god that is on par with Dionysus and like the other Olympian gods, like this very powerful god, right? And scary, the word panic comes from the word Pan because, okay, and then in the Dionysica, there's a story. So Pan and Dionysus have to like invade India uh, because, because. And it's like their it's like their holy quest from the gods, right? So you send like the party dudes to wage an entire war, which I think is hilarious. And mostly they win by turning the lake into wine, and then the army is too drunk to like fight, which is exactly how Dionysus would win a war. So they make love and then win the war. Right. But but Pan has been to war, and like the stories from that kind of make out Pan to be, like, a pretty good warrior, surprisingly, for just a guy yeah. who plays, like, the flute in the woods all the time. I, I feel like that he earned his retirement. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, Pan is kind of a scary dude, and Pan had this blood-curdling scream, right? But the satyrs, the Greek satyrs, were kind of, like, wise, and, um, sort of, you know, friendly in a way, but, like, ultimately had, like, bad attitudes. Like, they were kind of rude. 
at the same time. Okay, Nick, why are you describing us in college? No, truly, truly, truly. <laughs> Um, but then, but kind of assholes, but they're also smart and they like to party, right? Hello. And the, and then by the time you get to a fawn, it's like the fawns are like legit, kind of like scary and like mischievous, even like but they like they've gone from like neutral to like a little bit evil. I mean, which... that sounds like a pretty natural trajectory for most people because, that I know. because they've gotten mixed up with with pan as well um and like being taking... smart makes you angry eventually it does it does but so we do have to talk about famous fawns in history so why does dionysus have a cohort of satyrs so because his stepdad was a satyr and this guy is called Selinus. and Selinus. so basically there's this whole thing where when dionysus is born to a mortal woman Hera freaks the fuck out and is like on this rampage um, because this is the only time Zeus ever made his mortal lover immortal. So he grants her immortality. She's pregnant with Dionysus. Hera is like, he's gonna replace me and we can't, because she's so jealous. She's just so insanely jealous. So she's like tracking down Dionysus all over the place and eventually he ends up with Selenus, who is this ancient, ancient, ancient rustic god of winemaking and also a satyr. So, grows up in these, like, mountains, you know, he's, like, off in the wilderness, right? Comes back, becomes Dionysus, and then is cursed again by Hera to, like, wander the earth, okay? But along the way, because of who his stepdad is, he basically gives the art of winemaking to humankind, and that's how the Dionysian cults start up. So, sort of, perhaps a satyr invented wine, and that's good for them. Um, so that's like the the stepdad, though, and really teaches Dionysus to be the drunkard that he is. So, because again, they're just hanging out in the wilderness, and it's like, yeah, I'm gonna raise this this kid, but. I'm gonna do it in my own way and I'm like a satyr so I'm a fucking hilarious party bro he, he's not a normal mom he's a cool mom he's a, he's a cool mom and <laughs> so obviously he's like drinking buddies with his stepson when he comes of age of course you know I'm like okay but everyone with step parents is like yeah I mean I get it that tracks that absolutely tracks honestly I think that is like the best of all possible outcomes in like a step-parent, step-child relationship is that you can eventually be drinking buddies with said step-parent. That's kind of like the peak step-child, step-parent relationship. Yeah. Um, but in perhaps in Vince Wine, but okay, so there's this other story about winemaking and Dionysus that actually involves a different satyr, okay, called Ampelus. So Ampelus was a satyr lover of Dionysus, which I do love when you go, and I think this is homophobia. This is absolutely homophobia. When you go to like a Greek god or goddess's Wikipedia page and they list all of their partnerships, right? They never include the gay ones. What the fuck? Yeah, that's not okay. 
they never include the gay ones. And it's like, okay. The gods were fucking everybody. They should all be included. They should all be included. But we have Ampelos, who was this beautiful little Twinkie satyr. And Dionysus was like his sugar daddy. And... Wholesome. Wholesome. But when you when you fuck a god, you're doomed. That's kind well, of like... Okay, but like everyone knows that right i'm like but i i have to imagine i might be willing to be okay with it i mean here's here's where the story ends up though so ampelus and dionysus get it off okay and obviously doomed right but instead of dying dionysus works out a deal where ampelus uh turns into the first great vine so R.I.P. Ampelus, but drink up in his honor. But yeah, there's... so we should always be pouring one out for Ampelus when we have wine. Yes, and because of this association with Dionysus, there are specifically wine-making satyrs. So, which is why you see a lot of satyr art on Greek pottery, because a lot of Greek pottery was made to hold and serve wine. Social Studies brought to you by Nicholas Landon Paul. So there's a lot of really horny satyr art on like wine amphorae and shit. And that's actually why we know that satyrs are not goats because as if to drive the point home, there's a there's a vase when you Google satyrs, there's a vase of a satyr hanging out with a goat there's also a lot of one of these is not like the other one of these is not like the other uh but also okay satyrs do a lot of bestiality because they live in the woods and the nymphs like the whole like joke with the satyrs is that they want to hook up with the nymphs but the nymphs are like no we just want to fuck heroes like hercules etc etc and perseus and like not weird horse guys so honestly i'm like send them my way these yeah sweet giant dicked goobers yeah it's like um you know i i i think uh i think yeah i would fuck a satyr for sure for sure yeah why not man i've There's done worse a, there is a lot of very erotic artwork of pam yeah and anyway so Another famous satyr associated with Dionysus was also one that he um, wanted to hook up with. Okay. So, and this one is like interesting. Speaking of fucking satyrs, okay. So we have Prosimnus, who, okay. So actually part of the Dionysica is that Dionysus is the only god in the Greek pantheon to have successfully brought someone back to life. Full stop. Because... When he goes to the underworld, he meets this satyr called Prosimnus, who is like a satyr shepherd in the underworld. I do not know how that works, but he's like down there. Um, it's a, it's a littlefarmersonly.com because he's a shepherd. And it's Dionysus who like doesn't have a house, but you know, like they're having their like broke back mountain moment. They're like going through the underworld together. And obviously he's got like an affinity for these like twinkie little satyrs, Dionysus, because the artwork, okay, the artwork always shows that Dionysus is like this big kind of like 
burly guy and like the the satyrs are like little twinky boy men um all of which to say we have Prasimnas leading him through the underworld and basically it's like he's like yeah I'll like show you how to get get in get your mom out get out and you know so he's like but I'll only do it if uh, I can take you on as a lover after it's all over because I know I'm gonna be doomed but I'm gonna like you know enjoy it so yeah it's like I'll help you out with this mission and then we'll bang so it helps him out with his you know getting his mom out of the underworld and then Persephone the queen of the underworld is actually enraged by this because you know not even she can like get out of her obligation to spend time in the underworld so like why should his mom be so lucky so she kills Prasimnas for helping all of this happen and because Dionysus had promised that they would hook up promised that they would hook up um whittles a dick out of they say olive wood I guess because it's a nice soft wood to whittle a dick out of and then puts the dick on the grave and they don't actually that's like where the story ends and it's like okay but if he like he's said they were in that grave he's fucking that grave right like that's yeah that's for sure the implication um and also apparently there was a lot of like wooden phalluses as part of the Dionysian mysteries so that that's perhaps the story to explain that um but yeah so satyrs are not i I think you know we we have a couple of takeaways here satyrs are not fawns okay dionysus is gay for satyrs all right and satyrs are horny as fuck i mean all good things they're just not fawns they're just not they're not funs. They're not cute little little guys. Yeah. They're they're like weird hot guys. I like and, it. And the fact that I mean, and the fact that they uh have an endless supply of wine. Not mad about that. So all of that to say, I think it's time for some quick asks. Quick asks. All right. Yeah. You guys, um, it's a it's a quick episode, so we're gonna do quick asks. So um like subscribe review all right we made it easy for you this podcast is good all right nick and shannon make good podcasts something along those lines five stars we're on instagram at once and franz pod we are on patreon once and franz pod if you want to be really old school and send us an email once and franz pod at gmail.com and if you are interested in joining the Patreon, we do the episodes on video, which is really funny. You can see me smoking the devil's lettuce in the background sometimes with my microphone off. Um, you get to see our cute outfits. And a lot of times we do show and tell, which gets left in the episode. But you could actually see it if you were on yeah. the Patreon. So check you it out. You could actually see it. I'm like, I don't know <laughs> if I can show it. I got my, I'm like, it's not really seeable, but I got my Helix pierced yesterday and I got the cutest little crescent moon piercing, like little jewelry in it. It's fresh. Um, 
but yeah, we're close to the bitter end, Nick. And uh, speaking of who you have the message for, like when I was looking down just now, I was messaging one of our faves. Exquisite. So Periscope it up. So Periscoping it up, I <laughs> did do Capricorn, which I, you know, have the little kitty card here because it's just it's you know it's a cute little it's like a goat mermaid cat um but i liked capricorn because i picked capricorn instead of actually doing a draw because we were talking about satyrs oh and actually how um pan who is not a satyr became satan and the satan imagery um is very prevalent uh, in capricorn imagery so Sorry for making that connection, but hey, you guys get the Terrascope this week, so I would not be complaining, all right? But this week, for you guys, we have the Moon Reversed, which, uh, look at this tarot, Shannon. Look at the Dragon Tarot. Oh, that's so pretty. I love it. Um, So we do have the Moon Reversed for you guys, which is showing that you uh, may be coming out of a period of delusion perhaps, or maybe you've been very confused about a certain situation for a long time, but finally you have this clear mind, you have this awakening, and you are actually able to kind of make sense of what's going on and really trust your intuition at this time. So I would say this does seem like good news, although I would also say, you know, like, I'm sorry you've been going through that. And I think a bit of clarity is always such a nice, refreshing thing, especially during this six-planet retrograde that we are currently going through at the ass end of Virgo season, which really has not been so super fun, I think, for anyone. Um, but that is all I have for you guys. So, you know, welcome back. Welcome back to the the world and um, keep on Capricorning on. I love it. So I love it. Do we have any any parting words for all of our bitches, our not goat bitches? Oh my God, for all of our not goat bitches. Blessed be you horsey bitches. Blessed be you horsey bitches. Goodbye. Bye But, and then I tried to order my fucking cannabis drinks last night, but Grass Door was like running super behind and weren't going to be able to deliver till 11 p.m. So I had to cancel my weed delivery too. <laughs> California it's a, problems. It's a damn shame. It's a damn shame.